welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Excellent. Well, this morning we are about to start a new series. Okay, it's a series that we're entitling Follow. Okay, and I just um, am really excited about what we're going to unpack over the next month or perhaps a little bit more than that. Um, the first part of this series, we're entitling it Jesus Says. Jesus Says. And uh, I, you, know, you might say, well, what's that about? Well, who's ever played that game as a kid called Simon Says? <coughs> Simon Says, yeah, most of us. Now, I, did some, I, I grew up not too far from here, and I did some pretty intrepid things when I was a young person. Um, you know, we used to ride out all over Parahills on our little three-wheeler bikes and spend a lot of time down here at the paddocks fishing for carp and yabbies. And we started, you know, with, with little bits of meat on a string and, you know, try and catch them with a net. And then, you know, when we got a little bit more courageous, we would actually go into the water, roll up your, your trousers and you'd go in and you'd look for the yabbies under the rocks and you'd be, you know, you'd be just catching them and throwing them in a bucket and that was cool fun. You got the odd nip here and there. And then, you know, when, when we finished that, we'd often go looking for stormwater drains and we'd be up the stormwater drains and, you know, wrestling with the spiders and spider webs that would hit you in the face. So there's all these things that were going on in my life when I was a young kid, but none of those things used to freak me out as much as playing Simon Says. But I used to hate that game. I don't know what it was, but all my teachers at school seemed to have a thing about Simon Says, you know, Simon Says, put your hands on your head. Simon Says, put your hand in the air. You know, and, and invariably, I'll be one of the first people to go out because it's such an unco. You know, oh, did they say Simon says on you? <laughs> it's just like, oh man, I hate that game. So you're sitting on the outer, you know, you look at everyone else who's got it all together and they can understand English and, <laughs> and, and be coordinated enough, you know, because the game would, indent, you know, it starts off slow. And so I'd probably be right for the first two or three things, but then the intensity picks up. Then the, the teacher or whoever's leading the game really wants to start getting people out. So, you know, the pace goes up, the pressure goes up, and, and I'm just freaking out. And uh, <laughs> so what's that got to do with Jesus? Well, you know, a lot of people do their Christianity like that. It's kind of like, you know, Jesus says go to church. Jesus says read your Bible. Jesus says do this. Jesus says do that. Get drunk. <gasps> Jesus didn't say... You're in trouble. You're out. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Jesus says, don't swear. Get divorced. Uh-uh. Jesus didn't say, you're out. You're in trouble. And so many Christians live as though it's a big game of Jesus says. And many people who aren't Christians live believing that Christianity is a big game of Jesus says. And there's this perception that you're in or out based on how well you're actually doing what Jesus says. And unfortunately, when we do that, our life is either up or down, depending on how we feel that we're going. And that's bad enough because, you know, the reality is none of us ever does what Jesus says all the time. You know, we might string together a good five minutes, <laughs> maybe five hours, maybe five days, whatever it is. But inevitably, we're going to get caught out because Jesus didn't say. And so our, our life before God and our, our sense of acceptance and, and confidence before God will, will wane and grow depending on how we feel we're doing. And that's bad enough. But what's even worse is when we do string together a few good minutes, hours, days, or whatever it is, we begin to get judgmental. 
We begin to think that we are God's favoured and chosen, and we begin to look at those who aren't doing what Jesus said, and we begin to get critical. And we begin to tell them, you should be doing what Jesus said as well. And I've certainly been there, um, and possibly you have as well. You know, We get a little bit self-righteous, we get a little bit judgmental and critical, and it's kind of like the reform smoker thing. You know, When you think you've got something nailed, you begin to just put it on everyone else. And again, that's, that's just not at all the way it is. In fact, if we did have to choose a childhood game, I guess, to, to equate Christianity to, maybe a more appropriate one would be follow the leader. And this morning, what I want to have a look at is the fact that that, that essentially is what Jesus called us to do, is to follow him. <clears throat> you know, many, many people, like I said, it's about, did Jesus say, did Jesus? But if you look at the gospel, or the gospels, you read about the life of Jesus, you will discover that this is a, an amazing, uh, the life of Jesus is amazing in that it's not so religious as people might often think. You know, people who don't know Jesus, if they were to, and, and, and don't know, understand about Christianity, if they were to be asked what they would think the Bible would consist of and the Gospels, they would probably think there'd be a whole lot of church stuff in there, a whole lot of lists of how to do things. And certainly there, there is, you know, Jesus talks about how to live our lives, but it's not ritualistic and religious. But Jesus, you know, it's just his life. He says, this is Jesus. These are some of the things he did. These are some of the things he said. This is how he related to people, etc. It's just his story. It's very relational. And we see that Jesus called people to follow him. Jesus didn't establish temples and, and synagogues and ultimately church buildings. Jesus didn't set into place all these forms and traditions that we're so familiar with today. It was very, very relational in terms of um, Jesus' call to follow him. And so I want to have a look at that this morning. <clears throat> You know, you're probably thinking now, you know, some of, some of us, I guess, when we start to talk about this whole relational thing and what Jesus didn't say to do and all that, we get a little bit nervous as some of us as Christians. We think, well, what about holiness? What about doing what God says? Because Jesus doesn't, you know. No, no, I just don't want to put that aside for now. What we want, what we're talking about is following Jesus. You know, there's an inevitability about the fact that if we choose to follow Jesus, that our life will ultimately change. In fact, I dare you, if you choose to follow Jesus, you will look back on your life in the future and you'll say, who is that person? And that's actually not a bad thing. It's actually a really, really exciting thing. And we're going to look further at that in just a moment. What I want to do now, though, is quickly turn to Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read to you verses 9 to 13. Matthew chapter 9 to 13. Now, I've mentioned before, that, you know, this isn't, and Jesus wasn't, particularly religious. And this scene is very unreligious. So verse 9 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, they were kind of like the religious people of the day, the religious elite, if you like, when they saw this, they asked his or Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Obviously, they were very, um, had a very strong opinion of themselves and their own righteousness and their own standing before God, obviously. And they just were freaked out by the idea of this, this holy man touching and eating and, and fellowshipping with these dirty tax collectors and sinners. And in hearing this, 
Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so I just want to sort of unpack a few things out of that particular little passage. Like I said, there's no church building there. There's no religious ceremonies there. It's just Jesus interacting with some people, and some people who, by the way, weren't particularly the upper echelon of society. They were very much down, looked down upon by the society. Matthew was a tax collector, and tax collectors in that particular time were kind of, I guess you'd say, the scum of the earth in most people's thinking. They were seen as traitors, okay, because they were either collecting taxes for Rome or collecting taxes for Herod, um, and they were seen as traitors. They were basically doing the work of, of the bad guys, if you like. And often they were doing it at the expense of the people that they were collecting from. They weren't just collecting, collecting the taxes, but they were collecting over and above the taxes because what would happen in those days, you know, rich people could actually buy the rights to collect taxes and they would pay some of the taxes up front and then they would employ people in the area to collect taxes and obviously they would need to get their interest, their money covered. Um, and so people would be charging interest and over and above that, you know, people would be doing what humans do and that's ripping people off. And so Matthew was one of these guys, okay? He was collecting customs. He was in Capernaum. It was kind of on the border. So, you know, the, the, the long and short of it is that he was taking pe money from people. He was seen as, as someone who, who wasn't, you know, he was dealing with money. He was charging interest in all likelihood. And so he was doing all the things that good Jewish boys didn't do, okay? And so it set him at odds with the, the religious elite to start with. Not only that, but obviously tax collectors, hang around with other tax collectors and, 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 and it just seemed that they were kind of at the, the bottom rungs of society and they collect, collected around them all sorts of undesirable type characters. If we read through the Gospels, we'll see that you know, there were prostitutes and all other types of sinners. And so to put it in our context, I don't know who you um, wouldn't trust and who you wouldn't like. You know, maybe there are people who you think of. You know, maybe it's, if you found someone selling drugs to your kids, you know, that level of... of of frustration and hatred and you know that would be something like what we're talking about with these guys the way they would view these tax collectors maybe there's certain people in our society today who have a bit of a reputation for being untrustworthy um, you know at, at, the, at the risk of offending some I hope I don't but you know um, you know sometimes politicians don't get a very good rap certain salespeople maybe car parking inspectors um, pastors even, you know, there are certain people in society that just get people's goat up and, and, you know, we're all different backgrounds here, so maybe there's different people, but, you know, this is who Matthew was. He was not someone who you would have necessarily liked to be around if you were one of the religious elite, okay? So I just want to look this morning at four truths about following Jesus, okay? Four truths about following Jesus. And the first thing is that being a sinner, being a sinner does not disqualify you. In fact, it's actually a prerequisite. Every person that's ever followed Jesus Christ was a sinner. That's good news, don't you think? Because we tend to think, you know, many people have this perception of church, oh, oh, when I get this right, or when I get that in order, or when I get a handle on this bit of my life, then I'll start maybe thinking about coming to church because then I'll be good enough to go to church. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not like that. You actually need to acknowledge the fact you're a sinner and I'm cool with that, but follow me. And so Jesus walks straight into the midst of Matthew's world 
and within a very short period of time, and you know, the thing is, this is just a snapshot. This is just a very broad brushstroke overview of what happened that day. You know, we'll look at this a little bit further next week as to, you know, as to, you know, we need to read between the lines when it comes to understanding the Bible. But we see that at some point, you know, Jesus has called Matthew, and then later on in the day, he ends up at his house, and people are hearing that Jesus is there. And again, it wasn't like, ugh, religious guy at Matthew's house, let's avoid it. It's like, <laughs> it's like everyone is coming from all around. The place is full of tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees are outside. They're just, they're just done in. They're just weirded out by the, the fact that this religious guy would be hanging around with all these dirty, filthy people who can't get their lives together. <laughs> but the fact is, like I said, we're all, we're all sinners. You know, sin is like a terminal disease. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And every one of us, you yourself know that you are infected with this disease, if you like, called sin. It's the thing in us that means that no matter how much we try and do the right thing, we end up doing the wrong thing. It means that you know, we might not necessarily agree with, with what we understand God's standards to be, but it's the thing that doesn't even enable us to live up to our own standards. Whatever your moral code might be. I had a friend at uni, and he always used to say, I've, I've got morals, they're low, but they're there. <laughs> But the fact is, he didn't even live up to his own low morals. <laughs> and we're all the same. You know, we, just, we are incapable of doing the good that we think we ought to do. That's, that's the proof of the pudding, that we are all sinful people. The Bible talks about the fact that, that sin isn't just something that's infected us all. It's actually a terminal disease. It ends in death. It ends in eternal separation from God. You know it, and I know it. That's the bottom line. The sooner we understand that, the sooner we own that and recognize that, the sooner we can begin to follow Jesus, the sooner we can begin to get the help that we need, the sooner we can call the doctor, if you like. The only people that really had problems with Jesus, and, and today would be the same, is those people who think they're all right, who are convinced of their own goodness, who think that they're perfect. There's a, you know, that self-righteousness that the Pharisees say, you don't need to be a Pharisee. To believe this, you don't need to be a particularly religious person to have a high opinion of yourself and to look down and, and judge God. I know many people who, who aren't Christians, but they've got very strong opinions about their own worthiness. And if you know there is a heaven, I'll get there. And how dare God this? And how dare they're sitting in judgment of God? And that's a very, very dangerous position to be in. And that's the dangerous position that the Pharisees found themselves in. But the tax collectors, they got it. You know, Jesus is having conversations, he's interacting with these guys, and he sends out the message, it's the sick who need a doctor. I mean, that's pretty offensive when you think about it. You know, Jesus, in front of their very face, is calling them the sick. But again, they knew who they were. They knew what their issues were. That's why they were interested in this Jesus character, because he seemed to care. He seemed to have some answers. He seemed to be able to make sense of what was going on around about. And so the first point is this, that there's no sin, there's no habit, there's no addiction, there's no illness, or there's no problem that will keep you outside of this group of people that Jesus is inviting to follow him. He called Matthew to follow him. He calls you and I today, regardless of whether we're Christian or not Christian, regardless of whether we've come to this place because we regularly come or because we've gone 
dragged kicking and screaming by someone whose house we're staying at and they just happen to go to church on Sundays. You're invited to follow Jesus. The second thing is that not only is it not having, um, uh, not being a sinner that um, disqualifies you, but also not even being a believer or not being a believer disqualifies you. In other words, you are an unbeliever, a rank atheist. You do not believe in God. You believe that we are here by accident because of a big bang, millions and millions. If you believe that, that does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, none of those that followed Jesus started believing. They didn't. Many people who became believers and who have a reputation and and are famous for their faith today didn't believe in the way that we think you have to believe today. They didn't understand all the things about Jesus. They, They possibly hoped that he might possibly be the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. They possibly were curious about his teaching. Maybe, you know, they'd heard about the fact that sometimes there was free food when Jesus was around. Maybe they had a friend who'd been healed and that kind of intrigued them. And so there was this group of people that began to follow Jesus. Not all of them believers, many of them having more questions than answers, but they just began to follow along and see what he did. And, you know, whether they verbalised their questions or whether they were questions that were just going on in their heads... It seems like the more they followed Jesus, the more they hung around him, the more those questions got answered. And they went from the place, from curiosity and doubt to belief and faith. So it's a process. Even, you know, Jesus' closest followers, it amazes me as you read through the Gospels and you see that many times, it's like Jesus is tearing his hair out in exasperation over the lack of faith of his own disciples. How long? Do I have to put up with you guys? Are you still so dull? They should get it, you know, but it's, they didn't. We're in good company if we struggle today sometimes to, to not really understand all that's going on. It's a journey. You know, Thomas got a nickname, not because of his faith and his strong belief, but because of his doubt. I mean, he did three years with Jesus approximately, and yet having seen Jesus actually crucified, it was just all too much for him. And when word began to get around that Jesus had been risen from the dead, Thomas, as a very rational, clever sort of person, thinks, well, that doesn't happen, that doesn't usually happen, so unless I see that with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it, I'm not going to be taken for a fool. All these other guys might be a little bit naive, but not me. Unless I see it. And so, you know, we know that Jesus appeared to him and did show him the holes in his hands and feet, etc. And so, Thomas, my Lord, my God, I believe. So, we're in good company and we needn't be intimidated sometimes by a lack of understanding or the questions that we may still have. Some people think, you know, I, I welcome questions. I think questions are a healthy thing. I think we should ask questions and we should seek answers with regards to who Jesus was and why do you think God does this and why do you think he doesn't do that and so on and so forth. But I think as we follow Jesus, many of those questions that we have will be answered. If we don't follow him, we'll never get answers to those questions. Like I said, you know, we read sometimes, could this be the Christ? There was a question 
in the heart of those, who, in the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Could this be the Christ? And so those, and she posed that question to her friends and they thought, yeah, could it be? It sounds like he's, he's not your average guy. And so they went along and they began to follow and see what was going on. So belief and trust comes on the journey. Today, you might not believe that Jesus even is a historical figure. In other words, you might think he is just a figment of someone's imagination. He is just a part of the biggest scam ever pulled on the human race. You might think he's up there with the Easter bunny and Father Christmas and and everything else. That does not preclude you from taking a step and following Jesus. You might think, well, yeah, I, I can... I've done enough history, I've done enough reading to know that Jesus was a historical figure. But man, believing that Jesus is God, give me a break. That doesn't preclude you from following Jesus. You can still pick up a Bible and you can still begin to read about his life. You can go to the Gospels in the start of the New Testament and you can just begin to read over. You don't need to be a a Christian to do that. You don't need to even believe Jesus existed to do that. You don't even need to believe he's the son of God to do that. But I would encourage you to do it nonetheless. Because if Jesus is who many people say he is, I think that's a a question worth asking. And it's a path beginning to walk down, worth beginning to walk down. Maybe you could come back next week and hear some more about what we're talking about when we're talking about following Jesus. There are things that we can do, even in our unbelieving, irreligious, sinful state that can start to move us along the path with Jesus. The third thing is that the invitation to follow is purely an invitation to a relationship. It's an invitation to relationship. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, and ultimately they went and had some dinner together. And they conversed and they chatted and Obviously, it went fairly well because we then realize that Matthew later on becomes one of Jesus' 12. And so it was an invitation to a relationship, not to a creed, not to the Ten Commandments, not to religion per se. It was an invitation to get to know Jesus. And for every one of us, if we could just get that, I think we'd be a long, long way down the track. Because often it, we, we, you know, we come back to Jesus said, you know, the Ten Commandments, do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, I did something that I shouldn't have. I feel bad, etc. But Jesus is calling us into a relationship with him. And that relationship just begins as you are. Whoever you are, wherever you are right now. You might have been a Christian for 10 or 20 years and you might be the worst Christian you can think of. Jesus wants you to start following him afresh today. Where you are. Again, this might all be new to you. Jesus invites you to follow him, to come in relationship with him. Because ultimately, my confidence is this, that your ultimate response, remember I said about the fact you may look back in the, you may look in the mirror in a few years' time and think, who is that guy or who is that girl? I don't recognize them anymore. Not because you've had to follow all these rules and relationship and constrict yourself because Jesus said, but because you're in a relationship with a person who inspires you to change. And so my confidence is this, if a person knows Jesus, if he truly meets them, change is inevitable. Yeah. 
Because the way you live your life will be determined by who you discover Jesus to be. If you discover him to be a fraud, you won't change. If you discover him to be the son of God, the lover of your soul, your saviour, your life will change. It's the bottom line. As we discover who he is, the level of his value in our life grows and our life begins to change and transform to suit him. If you start loving Jesus, you'll start doing different things. I think about, you know, again, I love the way that, you know, we're not expected to take these massive leaps of faith and, and lose reason to understand faith concepts, but think about a marriage. When I met Sally Ann, I was invited to a friend's house for dinner and didn't know very much about her at all. But what I met and who I, who I saw, I liked enough to think, well, I'm going to ring this girl up and get to know her a little bit better. Now, at that particular moment, <laughs> at that particular moment, I had no idea of what it would cost me. <laughs> I had a Land Rover when I met Sally Ann. Used to love going out in the bush and doing all sorts of... But I don't have that anymore. Something's changed. But the point is this, it's in following Sally Ann that I got to know Sally Ann. I got to know a whole bunch of... And and the more I got to know her, the more I liked her. The more I wanted to be with her, the more I appreciated all the different aspects of her personality and character and nature and so on and so forth. And I thought, to live my life with Sally Ann is worth more than whatever I might see as valuable with being a single person. And so there was a cost and there's been some transformation that takes place as a result of my relationship with Sally Ann. But again, if we bring it back to our second point, it didn't start knowing all that about her. It just, it just started with, huh, she seems like a nice young lady. I'd like to get to know her better. And so this is how it starts with Jesus. You're like, well, Jesus, based on all that you people are telling me, based on what I can see going on in your life, possibly Jesus is worth getting to know a little bit more about. You don't worry about what it's going to cost you. You don't worry about what you've got to let go of. I can guarantee that, that over time, your life will change if you get to know Jesus. But it doesn't start with that. It's like you have this relationship, and as you begin to understand how wonderful he is and, and what he's calling you to, you think, well, it's the least I can do. I mean, I could have, have invested myself a whole bunch differently if I decided not to get married. But to me, that would be a, there's nothing compared to being married to Sally. There's nothing to be having the five children I have. There's a lot of, you know, I don't sit there worrying about the cost. I'm just enjoying the relationship. And this is what it's like to know Jesus. To know Jesus, truly to know Jesus, is to love Jesus. If you're, if you're, if you're caught up in the cost, you're missing something. It's probably a little bit more like Jesus said than follow me. Okay? So a loving relationship is going to promote change. That's the, first, the third point. And fourthly... Following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are. Okay, so we're talking about four things. Firstly, you don't need to be perfect to follow Jesus. Be a sinner, come as you are. That's the bottom line. You don't need to believe, that's fine. Start the relationship and as you begin to follow Jesus, and again, to know him is to love him. To see him is to be inspired by him. And as I read and and talk with and do my life with Jesus, the really frustrating thing about that is I recognize how how far I fall short. 
Because Jesus is the most beautiful, the most caring, the most patient, the kindest, the strongest, gracious, etc., 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 person I know. And when I put my life next to that, I think, eh. Why am I worried about what he or she or should be doing when I realize that I fall so far short? And so if I make my, my, my determination to become more like Jesus, to follow him more closely, suddenly I'm not worried about everyone else. And my life, straight away, just as that, a result of that is a whole bunch sweeter. Whereas the Pharisees, they didn't get that. They were busy measuring themselves according to the standards that they thought they needed to be measured according. And, and, and they were busy. They thought they had it all right. And so they were busy judging everyone else. Who was to eat with these sinners, these tax collectors, these prostitutes? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know what they've been up to? Doesn't he know that he'll be unclean, ritually unclean by just touching them? By sharing their, their horrible food, their unclean food? And so they were all about what everyone else was doing, what everyone else should be doing. And if they'd just taken a moment to see who Jesus was. And that's why Jesus said to them, look, go and work out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, I want, you know, I'm, I'm here on heart matters, not ritual matters. You guys and your rituals, you, you missed the point. Because every ritual that was instituted in the Old Testament, all the laws ultimately are for the benefit of people. They're there to show us, yes, that God is holy and we, and we are not and we fall short and, and they, they help us to draw that distinction between us and God. But essentially, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws of the Old Testament, they're there, they, they flow out of a heart of love. And if you love people, this is how you act. Jesus, you know, um, you read, uh, Paul says, you know, the, no, what's Jesus? Um, love fulfills the commandments. And so... Jesus was operating in love towards the sinners. All the Pharisees were doing was concerned about how richly unclean they were. They'd reduced it from relationship. They'd reduced it from love and heart and mercy and grace. And they'd made it about laws and rituals. And they'd used, rather than, rather than um, embrace, they'd used it to exclude people. And we need to be very, very careful that as we begin to follow Jesus and we begin to get involved in church life and as our lives begin to improve, that we don't suddenly hit a ceiling where we begin to think we've arrived. And we begin to think more of ourselves than we ought. And we begin to look down on others. The good thing is if we stay close to Jesus, we'll recognize that he's always one step ahead of us. And we can always move closer. And he's moving forward. And so you know, if we focus on that, I worry about whether I'm forgiving. I don't worry about all the other unforgiving so-and-sos out there. <laughs> I think, have I forgiven? Am I harboring bitterness in my heart? Have I got a bad attitude? Am I being stingy? Am I being too miserable? Am I just worshipping God with my lips while my heart's far from him? Not just sitting here in church in judgment of everyone. Oh, look at so-and-so. <clears throat> How can they come to church this morning? I know what they did during the week. <clears throat> Hypocrites. <laughs> Does any of this make any sense? The health of my marriage, again, my relationship with Sally Ann, is totally about the way I relate to her. It's not about how much I can critique other marriages. It's about what's going on in our relationship. So too with Jesus. If we are focused on that, we're going to have a healthy and a fulfilling relationship with Jesus. But if we get caught up in whatever else, our relationship with him will suffer.
If you felt judged by Christians, I guess all we can do is apologize because we know what we're like. And unfortunately, we do slip into taking our eyes off of Jesus and putting them onto someone around about us. But if you are not a Christian and you felt, you know, you felt looked down upon, that is not a good representation of Jesus because Jesus, if he was here in the flesh, he would embrace you, he would look for you. He would have time for you. He would call you to follow. So the more I look at, my, at Jesus and the more I recognise what's going on in me and how much change there still isn't to do, to do in me, the less I'm going to worry about what he still has to do in you or others. Romans chapter 14, verse 4, I'll just quickly read this. I love this scripture. It says, Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That is like one of the most frustrating and beautiful verses. Because you know what it's like. You know, you're at work and you're busting your guts to please the boss and do the right thing maybe. And, and there's another guy who seems to be a slacker. And like you're doing your thing and he's not doing his thing and yet he's not sacked. He's still there. And the boss seems happy with that for whatever reason. Maybe his family, maybe his friend, maybe the boss just doesn't know. Whatever it might be, maybe the boss, the boss just decided to cut him a break because he knows something that I don't know. But that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, look, how I treat other people has got nothing to do with you. You just focus on following me. And if you think they're getting an easy deal, well, that's my prerogative. I can do that if I want. It's like the, you know, the parable of the... The guy's working in the vineyard. At the end of the day, they got frustrated because of God's generosity. And we need to be careful that we don't get frustrated because of God's generosity. Because, you know, God is dealing with me on some things that at this very moment he may not be dealing with you on. And I've found that throughout life. You know, it's like it's a journey. You walk with God. And just because God is, is dealing with me about my language, you could be off there swearing your heart out and, and feeling no conviction. And, and no one's saying anything. And, and, you know, people are getting saved as a result of your witness. And, you know, everyone's loving you and thinking you're a great person. And I'm, you know, I can get really bent out of shape by that. And I can try and put what God is telling me onto you and miss the point. Because I stand before God based on what I do. And you stand before God based on what you do. But even beyond that, how he sees you and he loves you. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Imagine this. Imagine being a part of a group of people that got this. A group of non-judgmental people who are committed to following Jesus as closely as they possibly can. A group who recognize that none of us are perfect and that we all need support and help at times. I don't know. I just imagine that that's what the church is supposed to be like rather than a group of people that are busy looking over each other's shoulder and trying to hold one another accountable. And look, again, I'm not saying it's a free-for-all. But I'm just saying that if we could get this, if we could follow Jesus more closely, I think there'd be a greater sweetness in our spirit and in our ability to live with one another. I think, you know, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, you have those moments where God seems a long way off. It's like, I've lost him in the crowd. Where is he? But, you know, if we're all moving in the same direction, if we're all pressing up close behind Jesus, there'd be a sense of you get pushed along in the crowd, you'd still be moving forward. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes it's like, um, you know, if you, you don't see one of those time-lapse shots of, of Rundle Moore, people just going everywhere. The church shouldn't look like that. People just everywhere doing their own thing. Yeah. 
there should be a general sense. When Jesus was walking somewhere, the crowd was following. And you didn't even have to see Jesus to know where Jesus was going and be able to follow. And I think there's something in that, I'm sure. For us as the church, if we are following closely, we're generally moving in the same direction. We're treating one another according to the same values because they're the values that Christ has instilled in our lives. I just think it'd be a lot easier to stay on track and to stay close rather than doing some of this other stuff that often, unfortunately, we can be guilty of in the church. That's God's intention for the church, is that we just press up close to Jesus. We keep the focus on ourselves. We don't worry about what we've done. We don't even worry about necessarily what we believe, because that will take care of itself. It's a relationship. Over time, you don't, you don't start a relationship knowing everything you need to know about someone. You just get to know them. And over time, based on how that person does life, you grow in trust, or you grow to mistrust. I'm just saying, as you follow Jesus... You will grow in trust. It's inevitable. So, in conclusion, are we following? Are we following? Or are we playing, Jesus says? Am I up to date with my reading program? Did I get to connect group this week or not? Hey, look, these things in and of themselves are good, but they're not the measure of our relationship with God. They can help but they don't determine whether we're in or out as far as God's concerned. So let's not count ourselves in or out. And let's not count others in or out, depending on whether they're doing what Jesus says. But let's just ask this question of ourselves, and hopefully in doing it and living it, we'll inspire others to ask the same question of themselves. But am I, to the best of my abilities, actively engaged in following Jesus? Regardless of what I know, regardless of what I believe, regardless of what I understand. What might it look like? Well, I guess, again, in a room of people this size, there are people at all different levels of their relationship with God. Some, some it's like, you know, you're in your shop doing your own thing. You see a crowd walk past, you stick your head out the window. Oh, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> maybe you're there. And maybe for you, the next step in following Jesus is to step out and, you know, come back to church next week. Maybe it's to go home and dust off that Bible that was your parents and to start to read something of the Gospels. Maybe it's like I've been around here for a long time and I've really received all the input that I've had and I just feel I've been receiving a whole bunch and maybe it's time to start giving. Maybe it's just getting more involved with some of his other followers and to find out, just ask some questions about their story. There's just so many things we can do. Maybe it's about asking questions, going on to a foundation. There are so many things that could be the next step for us, regardless of where we're at. And so I just want us to, you know, as we finish today, my prayer for us is, is this, that we would, in this coming week, just ask that question seriously and take some time to reflect on it and think about what it could look like. But am I, to the best of my ability, following Jesus as close as I possibly can at this particular moment. Can I pray? Can we bow our heads, please? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.